Upper Room Discourse, where we dissect the meaning of Christian music and the history of scripture. I'm Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. What will we discuss this week? Keep listening to find out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, my name is Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. And uh, very excited for today's episode. Uh, this is actually going to be our last episode in our series on the five solos. Talking about the most important one of all. Yeah, I'd say probably the most important one. It is. Uh, so obviously the five solos, basically they're kind of these five core beliefs found in Protestant Christianity, and they're all around doctrine of justification. Uh, which we've talked a lot about over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and then we also talked about the major proprietor of mm-hmm. justification yeah. halfway through it. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at solus Christus, essentially Christ alone. Christ alone, right. Uh, basically, justification is in Christ alone. Our salvation is only in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to read the same verse we've read every single week. Uh, I would hope by now you guys have probably memorized it. I, mean, I feel like I've probably memorized it by now. You know, honestly, I haven't memorized it. Oh, well. But, <laughs> uh, but it's Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Oh, yeah. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Oh, yeah, I do have that memorized. Yeah. As soon as you start it, it's yeah. like it comes back to you. Uh, now, obviously, there is, uh, I would recommend reading kind of the verses around that, because uh, then it will teach us, you know, about how that is in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, don't read out of context. Yeah. Uh, so, surprise, surprise, our uh, song for today is titled In Christ Alone. It is, yeah. Feels pretty fitting, considering our theme for today. I would hope so. I mean, the name and the solo are the exact same thing. Yeah basically. Uh, so this right here, this is going to be the first song that we review uh, that I would label a modern day or contemporary hymn. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is a modern day hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't label it that way. I would say oh, that's what it is. It. Uh, I think that's something that we need a lot more of nowadays, uh, you know, because we don't really get a lot of that. You know, we get a lot of like just regular contemporary Christian music, uh, but these modern day hymns, I feel like there's only a couple people that are really doing, basically writing them. Yeah, I can't really think of many modern day hymns. I mean, there's probably quite a few that we know of, but I don't know, none come to mind besides like this one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this song right here in Christ Alone, the words were written by Stuart Townend. Mm-hmm. Uh very well-known UK uh, singer-songwriter. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote How Deep the Father's Love for Us, another very popular modern-day hymn. Right. And he also has a website. Yes. Okay. Uh, the music was written by Keith Getty. Uh, so obviously, uh, Keith and his wife, Kristen Getty, they're very, very well-known, very popular. Uh, and he's an Irish singer-songwriter. Yeah, and you can go on um, Townend's website and look mm-hmm. up the story behind how the song came to be yes which we're going to mention a little bit about not a whole lot but just a little bit uh, so the song was written in 2001 and it's actually the first song that town and getty wrote together right 
And really the idea was to write a modern day hymn about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, I think uh, Getty um, usually refers to himself as like a modern day hymnist, mm-hmm. or at least that's what people have referred to him as. Yes, they do. Uh, I would argue that this song specifically, uh, I think, is very pivotal uh, when it comes to the history of Christian music. You know, very specifically in the realm of modern day hymns. You know, because I feel like this song, uh, and especially those writers, you know, they're pioneers in this modern hymn movement. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say about that is I don't think this has ever really kicked off the the modern day hymn. Not as much as it could um, have. So while he may be a pioneer, uh, you know, we just haven't seen that modern day uh, hymn. We see more of that contemporary, mm-hmm. um, like elevation style. Yeah. Music. And, uh, and the interesting thing is this song specifically was written to go against that. Uh, so like, for example, to go against the Hill songs, you know, cause that's what was really, really big was Hill song. You know, and this is kind of the counteract that. But again, it's to counteract basically the idea of like yeah. what Elevation puts out, what Bethel puts out. Yeah, but this was also a little out. bit before their time, so. Yeah. Uh, but that's really where uh, I guess like the idea of this song came from and the idea to write more like a modern day hymn. Yeah. Uh, and also I wrote that this song is probably the most popular out of any modern day hymn. I'd say this is probably the most popular. Yeah, I'd say so as well. Uh, it's the one, I think at least everybody knows this song. Mm-hmm. And some people probably think it was originally a hymn instead of being contemporary music. But Yeah, exactly. You know. Uh, but again, I and before we kind of really jump into the review, you know, I wish we had more modern day hymns. You know, there's a reason why hymns are so timeless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's more of the scripture aspect of hymns that mm-hmm. uh, most modern music lacks. Um, and so, and I think it's more direct scripture quotes, if anything else, or heavily influenced, like the whole song is heavily influenced by scripture instead of just one or two lines being obscure references to a piece of scripture. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, I think the example I want to bring up is, uh, you know, think about all the popular Christian songs that were played on the radio 10 years ago and how many of those songs are still played today. Quite a few of them. Yeah, but there's quite a lot that yeah. kind of disappear. You know, there's songs yeah. that was, you know, I would argue would probably be super, super popular 10 years ago, and nobody sings them now. Yeah, and that's just time change, you know. It's and true. Different people listening, but. But you compare that to a hymn written 300 years ago that we're still singing today. Yeah, I mean, it depends on context, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I just want to bring that up because, again, I feel like. A lot of times we forget of the beauty of hymns, but also how important they are when it comes to like a congregational singing, you know, as opposed to all of this contemporary music that we have, rock inspired music, pop inspired music, you know, it's very different. Yeah. I think when it, we have to be specific about what we talk about um, when it comes to hymns versus contemporary music, because you will see a lot of hymns sung in um, churches like ours, mm-hmm. um, Southern Baptist or just Baptists in general, um, and other uh, denominations that came out of that same time period. So you're looking at like Lutheran, mm-hmm. Moravian, um, Methodist, 
So a lot of those other denominations will sing hymns as well, mm-hmm. uh, whereas they might lack the more contemporary side. Whereas our church sings like a good bit of both. Yeah. I mean, we do both during our services. Um, so it really does depend on what you're talking about, because if you're talking about on the radio, mm-hmm. then, yeah, you're going to lack that hymn singing, you know, those hymns being played on the air. But if you're talking about in the church, then that's totally different. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, so obviously it's four verses, and the order of lyrics is just verse one, two, three, and four. Uh, I would say that this song is a testimony. Essentially talks about what God has done, uh, as well as this song is a proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. I mean, you see it in every line, um, in every verse. Uh, it is the gospel, and I think that's clear and simple. Mm-hmm. And for the audience, I put the world. You know, basically anybody that hears this song would be an audience for it. Yeah, I think specific parts speak more to believers only, um, especially like in Christ alone, um, who took on flesh. Well, that part of it, the gift of love and righteousness, that can be for uh, the world. But then you have like firm through the fiercest drought and storm. I think like only believers will be able to share in that. Well, uh, yeah. In Christ alone, my hope is found. But the fact of it being a testimony, this is a believer telling, you know, the world, you know, that yeah. truth. Yeah, what I'm saying is like some parts apply to a believer and some parts apply to anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to look at musicality. Uh, basically, this is looking at singability, how singable is a song, looking at the melody. Uh, so it's written in the key of E-flat, uh, which I like the key of E-flat. Uh, it's not the easiest key. Uh, it's possible on guitar. Oftentimes you'll like capo three and play it in G to get that out there. Uh, from my own personal experience, I find that a lot of hymns end up being written in either B flat or E flat. You know, and I, yeah, I, I think that probably big, makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, a big part of that is going to be, for example, you have a lot of B flat instruments. So a lot of your instruments right. in an orchestra are going to be B flat. You know, for example, like a clarinet right. is just one example. Uh, so it just makes it a little bit easier on that side. And I think that's why a lot of them are either written that way or uh, when they're arranged, they're arranged that way. And I think that's something that I see on a week-to-week basis, is I see a lot of B-flat and E-flat. Uh, I wrote that it's a very simple melody. Uh, there's only four lines to the melody. Uh, and when I say line, I would say that each line is two lines of verse for one line of melody. It's kind of how it goes. Uh, but line one, two, and four, they're the same lines. Uh, and that's the very... Uh, popular that everybody knows you know it goes in christ alone my hope is found that line um that's that line is in there three times and then there's a little bit of where it changes uh right in the middle so line three of the melody is different uh which i like i think it really brings attention to those lines uh, because again it's something more interesting it's not that steady ascension that we have in the melody uh, but there's kind of more of a bouncing back and forth. Uh, like we go up higher and we go up quicker in the pitch. And uh, I would say that those specific lines are very powerful lines in the song. So like, for example, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, till on that cross, till on that cross, apologies, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. 
so I kind of feel like it really adds a little bit more to the words there, having that slight change in the melody. Uh, no, you can go ahead. No, no I was going to say something, but I'll say it later. Okay. Uh, I say that the song is very easy to sing to. Uh, the melody is very simple. The rhythm is very simple, very easy to follow. Yeah. I would, and I guess this is, I was going to say it later, but um, I think when it comes to the melody, I listen to a few different versions, mm -hmm. and I think my one thing about the melody is that the original, uh, sung by Keith and his wife, I don't know, it just seems slow to me. Mm -hmm. But then the Mercy Me and the Shane and Shane, they throw their little, they throw like different twists on it. Those are the only other two I listen to. But yeah. so I listen to about three versions. Um, and then we've all obviously played it here at our church. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing, and I think it bothers me with this song, is that it's played slow. And the reason that bothers me is because of like what the lyrics are saying. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about you know Christ being our hope, um, you know being our strength, our cornerstone, um, you know dying for us, taking on flesh, dying for us, and then being raised again. Um, I would think it would be a little more upbeat, I guess, That's instead fair. of slow and drawn out. And I don't want to. I'm trying to refrain from using the word boring um, and bland. <laughs> Because that I feel like that's a bit strong, but I think it's almost borderline, those two things. No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I actually have it written later in the review about how the song is slow, yeah. uh, but reasons why I like it being slow. Uh, I do want to, and this is also for the listeners out there, you know, just because something is slow doesn't mean it's boring. You know, I feel right. like a lot of times, uh, and I think it's the reason for this is a lot of times pop music will do it, but upbeat music tends to be happy tends to be energetic, yeah. a lot of moving stuff, and slow music tends to be sad, boring, stuff like that. Uh, but when it comes to the realm of music, I think those are criteria that we need to separate. Because I think something can be slow, but still be joyful and happy, just as the same way something can be fast and upbeat, but still be kind of boring. You know, uh, I don't want to say like it's not generally like that. There's a lot of cases where that is the case where something slow is boring and something fast is not. Uh, but not everything is like that. It's not, they don't go like hand to hand, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's with anything. Mm -hmm. But I think this is one of those cases where it is borderline that way. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's pretty noticeable. Yeah, a lot of that is going to come off of who is singing it, Yeah, I think. You know, because if you sing it, you know, not on top of the beat, but you're kind of like just letting it flow and being slow with it, I definitely think it can come out boring. I can agree with you on that for sure. Uh, I did give it a five out of five, uh, just again, because it's so easy to sing to. Uh, and again, it's a simple melody, but it's a very beautiful melody. Yeah, like I would agree with that. Very simple uh, and easy to pick up. Uh, and I think I like that about songs when they're easy to pick up, um, especially when it's about singing them. Now, you know, I think what impresses me when it comes to um, you know, the instrumentation mm -hmm. is, you know, something complex. Um, that's, I'm just saying like, that's something that impresses me. And I'm not saying oh, that I this, I'm not too. saying that this song lacks, um, you know, complexion, mm -hmm. uh, because like I've listened to Mercy Me's version mm -hmm. uh, a little bit and I do like some of the piano in that or no, I like the drums in that. And then 
in the Shane and Shane version, I like the piano in that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think there is a complexity in the original version, but mm-hmm. or at least some. There is. And, it, I mean, it just impresses me when something can be complex um, and still, I guess, pretty easy to play at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think this song does have some of that, even in the original, but more so in cover versions. Yeah. Uh, so moving on into poeticness. Uh, basically, this is looking at the flow, looking at the grammar, how things are written. Uh, I wrote down that this song is very rhythmic. Uh, it's an 8888 meter. Uh, and I wrote that helps give it a very simple but still beautiful flow. And uh, like I said, I think this was very beautifully constructed. Each line of uh, text is eight syllables. Eight syllables? Every single line is only eight syllables. They're trying In to pull a Shakespeare Christ out. alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Every single line. Hmm. That's some Shakespearean. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's a specific type of um, uh, poetic. Mm-hmm rhythm that Shakespeare wrote in and it's like five syllables in each line or something yes. like that. Yeah. And just go look it up because it's actually pretty interesting and it remi- this reminds me of that. Yeah. And like I said, I love how it's constructed. And again, having it be eight uh, really helps keep it in rhythm and keep it in time. You know, because if I guess if you don't know, eight is a very specific, like very when it comes to meters, you know, eight is like perfect almost. I don't want to say it's perfect, but it feels perfect. Right. Oftentimes we're in four, four. You know, so whenever you see something that's in like four or eight or 16, that's kind of musically, at least I like that and rhythmically. Uh, Each verse has an A section and a B section. So a first part and a second part. Uh, The A section has an ABAB rhyming scheme. Uh, Now, every line doesn't perfectly rhyme, uh, but they sound like they rhyme, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, because I mean, obviously, in verse one, my hope is found, this solid ground, those do rhyme. Uh, but obviously, we have my strength, my song, fiercest drought and storm. They don't really rhyme, but they're still kind of close. They're not perfect, but they're close. Right. Uh, there's a lot of that. Like in verse two, who took on flesh and righteousness. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't rhyme, but they're very close. I don't know what the, t- the technical term for that is. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Um, but I do think. Um you know, the one thing I do like about uh, how this is written out, one is that, mm-hmm. that it's, uh, you know, it flows very well. Uh, the rhyming is almost there, mm-hmm. but you can tell it's, you can tell it's not, but it's not like a big deal. You know, it yeah. wouldn't be like trying to rhyme orange and like sock. Yeah. You know, it's like a, just a funny, stupid example. Yeah. They still kind of, uh, but like, it kind of rhyme, rhymes. but they kind of rhyme. Yeah. And then each line, you know, it, it's kind of like the lines or couplets. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't know like what a couplet is, and I don't know if you put this down, but it's two lines that um, can either share the same information. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be differing ideas. They can be like one line says one thing, and the second line is an explanation or mm-hmm. an addition to that, just more information about the first line. So that's basically like what a couplet is. And that's how this song really reads out if you look at it, because like in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my mm-hmm. strength, my song. Um, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. Mm-hmm. Um, up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory. 
and then you, I mean, you just keep yeah. going from there. Yeah. And again, I think that's just the intentionality of the song, uh, because again, the melody is four lines. Yeah, you know, there's eight lines of text, but four lines of melody, and it's it's that couplet is really how it works like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is rhyming in the B section, uh, but it's not the same. I wrote it's an A A B C rhyming scheme. Uh, so two lines will rhyme, and then the last two lines they don't rhyme at all. They don't go with anything at all. Right. Uh, but again, just just don't want to bring it up because the rhyming's pretty cool in this song. Uh, I wrote down that the song has very good storytelling. You know, it maintains that theme of Christ through the whole song, and it gives basically walks us through his life. Yeah, it does, and it starts in um, I guess that's the second verse there, mm-hmm. uh, starting from when he took on flesh and mm-hmm. going to. You know, when he died on the cross and then rising again. Yeah. And then, well, we can get to the, you know, the last section, mm-hmm. but that's about, you know, our application of it. Yeah. Uh, I wrote that on the final line of each verse. It does a very excellent job of leading into the next verse. And also, oftentimes, the next verse can explain that statement, too. You know, the first one we get is here in the death of, oh, hold up. I'm looking at the wrong line. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Verse 2 tells us what the love of Christ is. You know, here in the death of Christ I live, you know, verse 3 tells us why we live in his death, because ultimately he rose from the grave. Yeah. You know, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Verse 4, it tells us the implications of that. Mm-hmm. And then here in the power of Christ I'll stand. You know, there's our application for this whole song. In the power of Christ I will stand. Yeah, and I think this song is a great example of what I've said probably every single week prior to this episode, um, is like a song being a story. Mm -hmm. And this is literally a story uh, when you just go and read the lyrics straight out. Yeah. Um, And like we've already said, it walks through Christ's life all the way to our application, um, which is, it is the intention, um, the way Townend and Mm -hmm. uh, Getty wanted it written. Yeah. Uh, and And if you go to the Stuart Townend website, uh, which is where I'm looking up the lyrics at. Mm-hmm. Um, you can there's a video posted on there, and you can watch that. Yeah, about why the song was written. Yes, and it mentions that. And uh, this is actually uh, Townend tends to write this way. Yeah, when he writes his music. He tends to write in this kind of storytelling kind of way. And that's what he says in that little um, interview post clip that's yeah. on there. Uh, so I gave it a five out of five on poeticness. Honestly, if I could give it like a six out of five, I would, because uh, I think it's very very poetic very beautiful the way the just the way the flow is and just the way the lyrics are written i really like it uh moving on from there we have evocation uh essentially the vibe check uh, i wrote down there's a couple things i wrote down uh, but the first thing i wrote this song gives us a feeling of hope and a feeling of love and i think that the opening line really sets the tone for this whole song in Christ alone, my hope is found. You know, that line, I think, really helps set the tone and just the rest of the song, that's what you get, is in Christ alone, my hope is found. Yeah, and I think that's the way a song should be, mm-hmm. is the tone should be set from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of um, secular music does a good job with this, not so much, uh, you know, Christian music. Mm-hmm. Um and this is one of those songs where it works really well. And, you know, you see that theme throughout the whole song about hope um, and about love. And then you see about the peace, like, later on at the mm-hmm. end, 
Um, so you just see anything that's mentioned in the first verse, you know, all the way through the psalm. Mm-hmm. The themes still apply yeah. the whole way instead of just stopping. Yeah, it just continues straight through. Mm-hmm. I wrote down also this song shows us the confidence and security that we have as Christians. And you see it more specifically in the third and fourth verses. You know, I brought out a couple phrases. Since curse has lost its grip, I have been bought with Jesus' blood. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. You know, just a couple lines out of the, that are from the song. Just, right. again, the security we have as Christians. Yeah, and I would say even security for, you know, the future. Jesus commands my destiny. Yeah. Um, uh, can never pluck me from his hand. Talking about even more security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last thing I wrote with evocation is bringing up the idea that the song is slow. Uh, so it's written at 68 beats per minute. That's pretty yeah, slow. That is not quick at all. Yeah, I'm not musically. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about music, right? But I know 68 beats a minute is pretty slow. That's, that's almost one beat a second. Yeah, that's about yeah, a beat like, a second. I think a lot of songs come out to be like 100, somewhere around there on average. It depends, actually. I, I know a lot of songs we play here are like 100, something like that. At a least lot of 100 your, plus. A lot of your contemporary Christian so, songs will be uh, because they often tend to be rock-inspired. And a most rock-inspired music yeah. is going to be that upbeat. So that's what I'm saying. Compared to those, you know, which are 100-plus beats a minute, mm-hmm. this is half that. Yeah. Um, and even, I would, I would think even some, you know, old hymns aren't even that slow. Some of them are. Uh, you, ha- you also have to understand that beats per minute doesn't mean too much because uh, it depends on what the rhythm is. Because it could be 68 beats per minute, but if they're all 16th notes, you know, well, it's not actually that slow. Or you could have it be like at 100 beats per minute, but if they're all half notes and whole notes, you know, well, all of a sudden we slow things down a little bit. Yeah. So it just kind of depends on how the melody's written. Uh, now with this one, with how simplistic it is, uh, I do think that's a pretty even good tempo for it, uh, but it does come out slow. Uh, but I like it specifically in terms of evocation because I think the slowness helps us to really soak in those words and to really meditate on what this song is teaching. You know, you're not rushing through it, but you're really sitting through those lines, and it helps you to really meditate on them. Yeah, uh, not much to say on that, but I do think it's good to meditate on even what, you know, you read and you sing about, especially when it's scripture-based like this is. Um, That's about it. Yeah. I give it a five out of five on evocation. I don't think there's any bad feelings that come out of listening to this song. I think it's only good and right feelings. Yeah, and you know, the feelings I think, you know, always should take a back seat to what is being taught. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want feelings to ever take a front seat because then that causes problems. Um you know, you don't want an emotion led experience when and worship through song. So we have to be careful with that. But I don't think this song does that at all, though. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bringing about a experience through emotion, um, you know, completely. I do think it brings up, you know, emotions like we've already talked about of comfort, of joy, peace, hope, victory, um, and things like that. Uh, but I don't think it's trying to make you have some kind of spiritually high you know, experience like 
I don't know, passion tries mm-hmm. to do with some of their songs or um, elevation or um, I would even say Shane and Shane. Yeah. Um, or who else, you know, a lot of the modern, modern day contemporary mm-hmm. singers. Uh, so moving on, talking about the lyrics, uh, basically how scriptural is this song? Uh, I wrote down this song essentially is all scripture, uh, but there are a couple controversial lines which I think are fair, but I don't think are really an issue when it comes to the song. And I'm not going to mention every scriptural reference because I think if I did, uh, we'd probably be here for like an hour, honestly, because I think every single line of this song has a scriptural reference. Yeah, you'd be you'd be writing out scripture for days. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the truth because of how the song is written and yeah. you know what it reflects. Uh, So uh, we're going to start with verse one and we're just going to kind of work through the verses. Uh, So I brought out, you know, obviously Jesus is our hope. Uh, One example of that is first Timothy one, one where Jesus is directly called our hope. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world as found in John eight, 12. Uh, Our strength is found in him. Uh, I bring up Philippians four, 13, just one verse. Uh, Also this idea of the heights and depths of his love that's found in Ephesians three, 18. And uh, those are the ones I bring out. Obviously, there's a whole lot more. Uh, I would Again, I would say every single line of this verse comes straight from Scripture. And uh, I would recommend that you guys actually just spend some time reading through Scripture. Honestly, just read the entire New Testament. And I think you'll kind of get the, all the references of where this song comes from. Yeah, what I would really say is start on uh, Townend's website. There are some listed there. Yeah. And then just start cross-referencing stuff. Uh, you know, you'll see a lot of the same um, themes, same words used in different verses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just start with the ones he already has listed there and, you know, go from there and study. Yeah. Uh, I kind of put verses two and three together because, uh, again, I feel like they kind of go well together. Uh, those are very specifically talking about Christ, talking about Jesus and his life. Uh, I wrote down, uh, just read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, and I think you'll get everything when it comes to the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Another verse I wanted to bring up is Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, all the way through Isaiah 53, 12. Uh, Again, talking about the cross, talking about stuff like that. Uh, Specifically, I want to bring up scorned by the ones he came to save. You know, it talks... Uh, that Isaiah passage talks about how he was rejected by men. Uh, did I put the John? I did put the John passage as well, uh, but John one eleven talks about that as well, how he was rejected. Uh, the word became flesh. That's John one fourteen. Uh, that's from that first line in verse 2, in Christ alone who took on flesh. Uh, I also want to bring up 1 Corinthians 15, uh, specifically verses 55 and 57, but I would recommend reading the entirety of that chapter. Uh, but those specific verses talk about how we have victory over death in Jesus. Uh, also, there's this idea of redemption in those verses. Basically, we were bought with the precious blood. Uh, that's a direct reference from 1 Peter one eighteen and 19, how we were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, and then I want to bring up the problematic line that is in here, which I don't really think is problematic, uh, but it it is the cause of controversy. Uh, it's the line, the wrath of God was satisfied. 
can you see why there's a controversy over that? Um, no, because I think that is very plainly, I'm not going to say specifically said in scripture, mm-hmm. but I think when you look into uh, the death of Christ on the cross, that is a better fitting word for, well, it's actually like pleased. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you really dig into it, it's really, you know, the death of Christ pleased God mm-hmm. because of being sacrificed once and for all. Um, and in that, I think it is a satisfaction. Um, not that God is satisfied to do it, mm-hmm. but that it was uh, acceptable, fully acceptable, mm-hmm. and that it fulfilled every requirement. So in that sense, it satisfied mm-hmm. God's requirement. Um I think in that sense, that's, you know, correct doctrinally and theologically, um, just as well as, you know, it pleasing God Mm -hmm. that Christ died. Yeah. Uh, So I definitely can see why maybe wording differences could be brought up. Uh, The biggest issue with this was with the Presbyterian Church. Specifically because of that line, the Presbyterian Church does not include this song in their hymnals because of that line. Uh, and that's because they don't agree with that statement. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I just don't know how mm-hmm. you can read that line and then go to the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, in the Old Testament, we, I mean, you'll have to go back maybe three or four weeks mm-hmm. when we did Leviticus. And we talked about Leviticus 16. The sacrifice then mm-hmm. satisfied God for a time. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think that's made like specifically clear, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the same that same um, idea is brought forth in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very hard to sit there and say that you know. Jesus' death didn't satisfy and please God at the same time. I think that's very hard to say. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to do some back-breaking work and some twisting of the Scripture to make it not imply that. Yeah, and uh, I would agree with you on all of that. Uh, I definitely think they're, really their issues is this idea of the wrath of God. Mm. I think is where a lot of their issues would come from, and just kind of the wrath being satisfied through Jesus' death. And I think they just have issues with that line. But see— and I, I I agree with you. I you know I understand what you're saying, and I think uh, you know that's the problem because you know we see Jesus in the garden and he's praying. He says, you know, may this cup mm-hmm. pass forth from me if that's your will, and he's very obviously implying a cup of wrath. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he doesn't specifically say that, then that's what he's implying is a cup of wrath. Yeah, and I think he definitely alludes to that or mentions wrath um, against him for, you know, going to die on the cross and God's wrath is going to be upon him plenty of times. I don't think he'd be sweating blood, you know, if it wasn't going to be God's Mm -hmm. wrath on him fully, you know, in the garden. Uh, So verse 4, the big things I want to bring out with verse 4 is Romans 8 specifically. Apologies. A little uh, thing in my throat there. 
Uh, but Romans 8, specifically verses 38 and 39, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know, that's that's the big verses there. And the big connection, at least the biggest one that I bring out, uh, obviously there's a whole lot more in verse 4. Uh, I do want to bring up uh, the other problematic lyric in this song because uh, it's found here in verse 4. Uh, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Uh, do you see what's wrong with that line? Go ahead and tell me. Uh, first off, life begins at conception. So we're looking at before the first cry of life. Uh, but scripture teaches us that God has plans for us before we are born. You know, specific verses are obviously Jeremiah 1.5 and Psalm 139.16. Uh, and I know some people have issues with this because I think they would argue that Jesus commands by destiny before life's first cry and even post final breath. He still commands my destiny. Uh, so I think that's where people have issue with that line is because of that. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would extend this to say, you know, who's to say that we're just talking about, you know, a human being's life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what they could be implying is that, you know, we're talking about from the very second that God created everything, mm-hmm. you know, life's first cry, right? And then to the final breath when he recreates everything. Yeah. Um, so I think I do see a problem with if you're, if you're focused in on, mm-hmm. you know, this being about a human or, you know, any other living creature, um, then there is a problem mm-hmm. because life does start yeah. at conception, not at birth. You know, uh, and then life doesn't end at death. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend somewhere for eternity, whether that's heaven or hell. Yeah. And so, you know, even in that, you know, final breath, you know, physically, you know, you're going to take a final breath, but then your soul is going to be reunited with your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of went over that week one a little bit. Um, but I would say, you know, if if you're thinking that way, I would say, you know, I don't know how this is written. I don't know their intention behind the line and mm-hmm. what they were thinking when writing this line. But I would say open it up to, you know, the beginning of all creation, Genesis 1-1. Yeah. And then let it rest at Revelation 21-22. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, like I said at the beginning, uh, I don't really think I, I think they're fair issues, uh, but I don't think that there are like problems with the song and we shouldn't be singing the song because of those lines. Yeah. You know, I don't think they're at that point. I think they just take a little more analyzing than, yeah. you know, just looking at it and saying, oh, this sounds like a problem because the Bible teaches, you know, life starts at conception. Yeah, this is more like or, a analyzing of the lyrics is when you start to see that. Yeah. And you really do have to look at them. Yeah. And, uh, and again, with the from life's first cry to final breath, I think the that's not what's important. Right. I think what's important is the second part of that line: Jesus commands my destiny. You know, right. essentially my entire life, Jesus commands my destiny. And I think that's really the point of the line. Mm-hmm. You know, that way we don't get too caught up in the semantics, which are important. Yeah. You know, but that's not really the intent of the line. You know, he's not trying to say only from life's first cry to final breath. Right. You know, that's not really the point of it. I give it a four out of five on lyrics. Uh, I definitely think, again, every single line comes from Scripture, uh, but specifically because there's been controversy, uh, I would say that's why I would give it a four out of five. And again, I think like if you analyze a little deeper, you kind of see those slight inconsistencies.
Yeah, and I would I would just think um at least on the wrath of God part. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's pretty much you know biblically based. I don't even know why there's an argument on that anyways. Um the other one, I could see a little more, you know, struggle with that one. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. I don't think there was ever really a need to be like, oh, you know, you said this in the song, yeah. and now it's like a whole issue. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see the need for that though. I think it's a good song either way. I, well, I wouldn't say either way, but because if it wasn't biblical, then it wouldn't be a good song. Yeah, um, no, I definitely think it's a great song, a very yeah. biblical song for sure. Uh, for the final score, it's a four point seven five out of five, which I think is a pretty, pretty, pretty good score. That's a good score. Uh, I think it's well-written, very beautiful, and I think it definitely belongs in any worship set at any point. I mean, it's literally the gospel. Yeah. Uh, now, this is a question I did want to ask and bring up. Should we play the original version, or should we be looking at the covers? Only because this song has been covered so many times. Um, I think do the song how you want to do it. Just don't make it boring. Yeah. Don't make it bland. And, I mean, if you want to make it slow, you can do that. Just make it sound good and make it to where you want people to sing it and have fun doing it. Yeah, you can be slow, but you're still not dragging. You can be slow and be on top of the beat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote down probably the most popular version of this song is Christian Stanfield's version. Oh, yeah. That's probably the most used cover, I would say, in churches nowadays. Yeah, I mean... You would have either sworn two things about this song, mm-hmm. okay, before we start talking about it. One, that the, the first one, okay, you know, you hear it's a hymn, mm-hmm. right? And you, you would have sworn this was written 500 years ago, mm-hmm. and you would have been wrong because it was written in 2001. Yeah. The second one is that, you know, you would have sworn it was written and sung by Christian Stanfield, mm-hmm. and that's wrong. Exactly, yeah. Um, I would have sworn by the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's just, I guess, you know, your own fault. For not looking into who wrote it, yeah. Uh, most times, I don't. I mean, I don't really care much who wrote it as long as it, you know, is biblical, mm-hmm. is scriptural, and it sounds good. Yeah, and I like it. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, uh, the Christian Stanfield version is a part that goes, "Oh, whoa, 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 whoa." Oh yeah, that's the Christian Stanfield version. So not much changes between. Uh, no, he adds a bridge. Uh, of course, Christian Stanfield adds a bridge to the song. Uh, I I didn't really go too deep in the analyzing of that because obviously that's not the original song. It's a cover of it. Right. That's the one version I didn't listen to. Yeah. I don't think there's any issues with playing covers. Uh, I think as long as they don't take away from the original, because that's something I hate is when they try to take an old hymn and try to rewrite it. You know, sometimes they do a good job with it, but sometimes I'm like, it was perfectly fine how it was. Why did you have to change it and rewrite it? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the thing um, that I like about, you know, some older music I listen to from, you know, some pretty secular bands. Like, um, we'll just name them, like Grateful Dead, ACDC, Led Zeppelin. Um, who else? Some, of, some of those older bands, right? Um, but they do, they do good covers mm-hmm. of songs that aren't theirs. And, I'm, and, you know, all the other ones, too. They do good covers. They take the song... They leave the lyrics the same. They just make mm-hmm. it their own. Yeah. And then, yet yeah, you get into the Christian world, and then it's like, all right, let's take this perfectly good song. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then let's just tear it all up. Mm-hmm. And then try to put the pieces back 
yeah how we feel like it i'm like what was the point of that yeah you know i mean i guess that analogy makes sense and then some of them some some bands do a good job of Mm -hmm. keeping the integrity of the song uh i did like i said i like the mercy me and the uh shane and shane versions Mm -hmm. uh like different parts of you know each one of them but they kept the song you know the lyrics Mm -hmm. they kept them intact and then just kind of threw their own beat to it. Yeah, their and even own like melody. even like the melody is still pretty, you know, it still holds to the original. Yeah, and it's very similar to the original. It's just their own little take on it. Yeah. And I think that's how when you're doing a cover, a song should be your own mm-hmm. take of like the melody, the music, the beat, all of that. Mm-hmm. Just keep the lyrics, the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we have our question: Should you play this on a Sunday morning with a congregation? Yeah, I'd honestly like to hear this song with like an orchestra instead of all the mm-hmm. contemporary music but yeah i think I, it's fine to play on sunday morning i wrote down that you should and if you're not doing it on a sunday morning why aren't you doing it on a sunday morning right because you should be throwing this into your sunday morning sets it's a good song to start incorporating mm-hmm. um very biblical um very scriptural you know a lot of theology and doctrine found in here and i think it holds Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, and then we're going to come back uh, looking at our word study and our book study. Yep. So, very excited for that. It is very exciting. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see you guys in a minute. Oakview Baptist Church is located at 810 Oakview Road on the corner of Johnson Street and Oakview. Join us for Bible Fellowship every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30 and for service from 10.45 to noon or on Sunday evenings from 6 to 7 for our evening service. If you are college age or a young adult, you can join us for The View on Sunday evening at the same time as the main service. On Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, we have Word of Life for the youth, Awana and Cubbies for the kids, and an adult Bible study led by our pastor. Check out the links in the description of the YouTube video for past services or more info. All right. Welcome back. We're going to be talking about um, Solus Christus and detail and uh we're gonna talk about that in more detail and then in the book of deuteronomy and we'll go into the book of deuteronomy a little bit later mm-hmm. um but you know in christ alone um i was looking up you know this kind of this phrase and it said about three different ways solus christus in christo solo or solo christo um, so my first two questions when thinking through this um, were, were, who is Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. And then, um, so that'd be, you know, question for you, for the audience, you know, who is Jesus Christ? And then my actual question, like to you, um, Felipe, what do you know about the word Christ? What do you know about the word Christ? Uh, it's the Greek translation of the word Messiah. Okay, and what does that word mean? Uh, more specifically, it means anointed one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, like someone that's been anointed to be a king, most specifically. Correct. Uh, so my next question, um, now when it comes to this word Christ, mm-hmm. okay, 
and I say I said that in a very specific way um, for a reason. Is Christ a name or is it a title? It's a title. It's a, yeah, and that's correct. Uh, when we refer to Jesus Christ, right, Christ is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people, um, you know, some believers, some not believers, mm-hmm. um, I think would say, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ, that's his full name. And it's more like, no, it's a title, like Lord or mm-hmm. King. Um, it's a title, Messiah. And uh, there's been many examples of Messiahs in Scripture as well. Yeah. I mean, the first example would be David. Right. You know, you would be correct in saying David was a Messiah right. because he was anointed to be king. And that is actually um, an example I put down for, you know, a question I have here in a second. Um but, you know, just going over, you know, these two words, um, Christ and Greek is Christos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that is, like you said, the translation of the word Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Um, again, good I'm going to butcher every single <laughs> Hebrew word I say on here. That was good pronunciation. Um, I do my best, though. Um, and then let me ask you this. What do you know about the name Jesus? Ah, it means God saves. Okay. Um, is Jesus his actual name? I mean, it's the name that was given to him at his birth. You know, I think in times past, his name is just God. That's not right. That's not right. Uh, so, I mean, technically you are right. Um, but Jesus is a translation of a translation. Oh, because it's not actually Jesus. It's, right. yeah, it's, it's not in English. It's like Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeah. Correct. That is, that is correct. Mm-hmm. So, in our English translation of like Yeshua would be like Joshua. Mm-hmm. So that now, you know, when you go around talking about Jesus, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, his real name was Joshua, because nobody's going to know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you went up to somebody who wasn't a believer and you're a Christian and you said, do you know about Joshua Christ? And they're going to be like, who? Who are you talking <laughs> about? Um, I think they are technically the same word, though, right? It they're is like the same name. Yeah. So. Jesus comes from the Greek translation, Iesu, mm-hmm. um, and it's the Greek's translation of Joshua. But one thing you have to remember about both the Greek and the uh, Latin translations mm-hmm. is that when they're translating them at the time, there was no um, vowels mm-hmm. in Hebrew. That is true. And so they had to translate them as best they could. And so the Greek Ended up becoming Yesu, mm-hmm. um, because just it, That's they're what going they with had. how it sounds, right? Uh, but also, they didn't really speak much Hebrew; they spoke more Aramaic, right? Um, but the, like I said, the names do mean the same: um, God is salvation, or God saves. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, moving on, uh, we're going to come back to the anointed part. You know, Christos and Mashiach, mm-hmm. um, both mean anointed one. We went over that. Their titles or adjectives. You know, you're describing somebody who has been anointed. Um, so, you know, we've talked about one significance of anointing, and you mentioned that one with David, mm-hmm. and that's for a king. Um, do you know any other ones of why, any other reasons anointing would be significant? Is it I sig- found a. Is it significant for priests as well? It is. That would be the second one I found. I found about five. Mm-hmm. Do you know any other ones? They'll probably come to me, not off the top of my head. Yeah, so you got two of them. Um, you know, religious, ritualistic reasons, you know, priests and ceremonies, sacrifice. Um, 
you know, sig- signifies God choosing somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So like a king, yes. you know, Samuel anointing David uh, signifies an esteemed guest. Think about Psalm 23, mm-hmm. anointed before my enemies. And I, and he sits at the table, right? Preparation for burial. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it with Jesus and the scriptures. And then the last one I found was, and you kind of have to uh, do a little digging with this one. Not too much, but mm-hmm. um, when consecrating or offering something to God, that is not a sacrifice. Now, the example I use for this is very specific, um, and it's Jacob at Bethel. Mm-hmm. So he takes the rocks, yeah. and then he anoints the rocks, signifying you know the house of God, which is what Bethel means, the house of God. Um, and then the oil that you know, the priests would use is a very specific type of oil. You can go read about it in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 32. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it was a very specific use, a uh, very special case use, and there were consequences for misusing that an oil, mm-hmm. that oil, I mean. Um, so my next question is, when or how many times do you think Jesus was anointed? Is it only twice? Now, three times. Now, there's three that are specifically mentioned. Okay. Um, I would say that there's five. So one kind okay. of to connect each of the, and this is just I did in my own study. And you, mm-hmm. I mean, you can feel free, free to disagree with two of them. Um, but the first one, Jesus' baptism. Yeah. Okay. You know, the spirit descends on him. That's, you know, the same example of anointing mm-hmm. and rests upon him. And then God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. I would say that's the first anointing. I would agree with that. Um, the second one I found, and these aren't in order because uh, technically the next one would be at Simon's house in Luke 7 and 36 through 50. So that would technically be the, chronologically people say that's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say the Jesus' baptism is the first one really. And then Simon's house is the second one in Luke 7. Um, the next one I would say, you know, is an anointing. And this is the one that's kind of, I mean, you can agree with it or not, but the transfiguration. Okay. So, and I, I go because, I go with that one because the words that God, the Father, say to Christ are the same then as he said at his baptism. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think at that point, because after that point on the transfiguration, they start moving into Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. From there, true. it's to Jerusalem, and he goes and then dies. Mm-hmm. So I think it's God once again, you know, renewing that uh, I've chosen you mm-hmm. and that renewing that anointing. Not that it needed to be renewed, but he's doing it again. And then I think, you know, from there, we see, you know, Christ and his glory from that point on. Uh, so I would say that's, you know, the third one I found. The fourth one. And you can find that in John, not John, in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8, the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, John 12, verses 1 through 8. Um, this is Bethany before the triumphant entry. Yep. Okay. And then the last one, Matthew 26, uh, verses 6 through 13, preparation for his burial. Because mm-hmm. uh, soon after he will go and he'll die. Um, some verses about, you know, why this is important. Um you know, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very 
um, detailed and very specific about what Christ did. Yes. Uh, John 14, 6, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 6, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and then um, the one Old Testament passage that, you know, just about everybody quotes in regards to Jesus, Isaiah 52, 13 mm-hmm. through 53, 12, which yes. is the end of chapter 53, uh, specifically talking about the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I bring those passages up is because we see the purpose for what Jesus is anointed, mm-hmm. right? One, it is his death. Uh, we see that in, you know, Matthew 26 as well. And then it is for his, you know, priesthood. He's anointed. You know, he is called a priest. Uh, he's called a prophet. Um, one like Moses specifically. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then it is for his future reign. I, I say future reign. Um, but his present reign, Mm -hmm. you know, at the Father's right hand. So he's anointed for each of those things. Yes. Um, So it's just kind of something cool and interesting to look through. Um, And then we get into Deuteronomy. And the reason we get into Deuteronomy from this is because we're talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about, uh, you know, things he fulfilled. Um, You know, I believe it was last week. We talked about what scripture is. Mm-hmm. Scripture is the prophets, the Psalms, and the law. Okay? And what we're looking at when we get to Deuteronomy is this is the last book. Mm-hmm. And do you know what Deuteronomy actually means before we get into it? I don't. After, off the top of my head, I don't. So Deuteronomy, um, second law, I put that in quotations. Okay, yeah. Um, or repetition of the law. Um I've got this neat book at my house mm-hmm. that kind of goes through the outline of Old Testament. It's called the Old Testament Handbook, I believe. Um, and something it mentioned in here was that the name is really a mistranslation of Deuteronomy seventeen eighteen, um, mm-hmm. and that's just talking about you know future kings taking the law, yeah, and copying it down for themselves, and that's where we get copy of the law, which mm-hmm. is really what it should be. It's a Deuteronomy is a copy of everything that we've already went over. I got you. In the first four books. And it is. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things you find are the same. Um, so why does this matter? You know, why does Deuteronomy and Jesus Christ matter? Well, Deuteronomy is law, right? Mm-hmm. So, and what what does Jesus say he came to do? To fulfill it. To fulfill the law. And so when we look in Deuteronomy, uh, we see some of the laws that are fulfilled, mm-hmm. right? And it's quite a few. Um and I just put a few down because, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Uh, tw- Deuteronomy 21, um, verses 20 through, 2 through 23, that's in John 19. And then Deuteronomy 32, 43, you find that in John 1, 1, mm-hmm. and Matthew 26, 26. And then the chapter 18 passage, Matthew 21, Luke 7, and Luke 24, and then John 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. You can find that those references. Um, and Jesus doesn't only fulfill law, okay? He doesn't only speak psalms. He doesn't only speak from the prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't only fulfill this. I meant to say he doesn't only fulfill them. He speaks them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a few places to look at where Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Um, and what situation do you think most of them come from before I get into it? What was Jesus doing? Well, the first time we see it is at his temptation in the wilderness. That's the first time we see it. Right. 
And uh, that's where most of them would be. Mm -hmm. I think like really four out of five times. Mm -hmm. Um, So just a few places to look um, and their counterparts from Deuteronomy to the Gospels, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 8.3, you can find it in Matthew 4.4. Deuteronomy 6.16 and Matthew 4.7. Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20 and Matthew 4.10. Deuteronomy 5.17 and Matthew 5.21. Deuteronomy 5.18 and Matthew 5.27. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and Mark 12.29-30. And then Deuteronomy 25.5 and Mark 12 and 19. And then Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, and Luke Mm -hmm. 4.8. So a lot of scripture references um, between quotes and you know, fulfillment. And why is this so important? That, uh, why is it so important that he fulfills all of them? Yeah. Well, it just shows more credibility, you know, that Jesus is who he says he is. Right. And, you know, one thing we have to understand is that, and we kind of went over this a little bit in Romans, you know, during the week we talked about Martin Luther, is that we can't fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. The law That's is true. there to show our sin, and that's its only purpose, Right. And the only one who can fulfill that law is Jesus Christ. And these are plenty of examples where he quotes it and where he fulfills it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very important. You know, the one who keeps the law is righteous before God. And, that, and the only one who is righteous before God is Christ. And then that is imputed, imparted to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, you know, we've been talking about Deuteronomy, um, how it links with Christ. Um, I talked a little bit about how, you know, Christ is like a— prophet, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like Moses. And then, you know, what is Deuteronomy about? So like we said, Deuteronomy really just means, you know, a copy of the law, repetition of the law. And the reason this is important is because what happens at the end of Deuteronomy? Do you know? Uh, that's when Moses dies. That's when Moses dies. And they uh, finally are able to enter into the land. Yeah. So they're finally able to enter the promised land. And so you go through chapters 1 through 11, okay, in Deuteronomy. And this is Moses talking. Mm -hmm. And he's recounting everything that's happened, you know, up to this point. You know, the and I I specifically said recounting the days and times of God's goodness and faithfulness, right? You know, you go back and you see the golden calf incident in Exodus. Mm -hmm. Um, You go back to last week, I believe it was. And you see the men get swallowed up whole in yep. the shield. Um, you get the water from the rock, uh, the parting of the Red Sea. You get so many great miracles, and you get God's goodness. And then he shows his faithfulness by not killing all the people, by you know, weeding out the evil and the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, chapters 12 through 26, you get laws, feasts, statutes for all situations, for all times, for all purposes. Um, and then chapters 27 through 30, you get curses, blessings, and covenant renewal, right? And then, you know, you kind of get to the last few chapters, and it's kind of um, saddening because, you know, you're coming up on the end of Moses' life, and he knows it. Yeah. And it's chapters 31 through 34, and, you know, Joshua's already appointed to be his successor. Mm-hmm. And so that's who we look to, you know, at this point is Joshua. And the reason this is so important and the reason we bring up the promised land 
is because the re- the reason they've been in the wilderness for so long is because God has been waiting for all the old generation to die. Mm-hmm. And the last line of defense, you know, is Moses. Yeah, he's the last one. He's the last one. Mm-hmm. He's 120 years old, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, it's sad. I think um, the people, they grieved for like 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um and they mourned his death for 30 days, which that's yep. a whole month. They did, yeah. That's like normal in that culture mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Um, and I think it was hard on everybody, you know, especially Joshua, someone who was close to Moses, um, always there and seeing all these things. But, you know, they had a they had a good promise. You know, they were now able to enter the promised land. Um, and the good thing, you know, you know, yeah, it's sad that Moses died, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, and it's sad that he didn't get to enter the promised land, but, and not to speak ill of the dead, but he brought it on himself. You know, he was a man of war. Um, he had sinned multiple times. Um, and so that kind of cost him his, you know, Mm -hmm. leadership and going into the promised land. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the good thing is, you know, God took his bones, buried them in a place nobody knows about. That's true. And nobody's ever going to find that place. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the only two people are Gabriel and you know, <laughs> Satan. I think you know, <laughs> one specific scripture mentions that they were fighting over the bones or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember that, but go look that up in your own time. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's sad that Moses dies, but you know they get to enter the promised land because of it. So, you know, you got something bad, I guess, on one hand, mm-hmm. but then you got something even better on the other. Um, so this is the last book of the Torah, mm-hmm. the Pentateuch, whichever one you want to call it. All right. What does God want from his people in giving them the law? Well, obviously I think the biggest thing is just covenant is the keeping of the covenant, the following of the commandments. Right. And that comes from proper worship mm-hmm. and from a heart of obedience. And something that, you know, we have to understand is that even though that's what God was wanting, okay, he's wanting them to worship him. He's wanting that covenant from them. He's the one that presides over it and gave it to them. So there's no stipulation on their side. He just wants the proper worship. Mm -hmm. They don't have that. You know, they don't have that obedience to God. They don't have that proper worship to God. Now, some will, right? Some will, like David, Mm -hmm. you know, Solomon, Joshua. Um, Josiah, you know, different people throughout time. And these are all kings mm-hmm. except for, you know, one of them. Um, but, you know, you get people who will have obedience to God and listen to him. Ezekiel, mm-hmm. Nehemiah, all people we know of and hear of. Um, but, you know, for the most part, they don't. He's going to give that to them. You know, uh, he will bring about that heart. And I think that when it comes to these laws, you know, these laws are one, um, laws, you know, separate mm-hmm. by themselves. But I think two, they're also prophecy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, specifically, you know, we go back to Deuteronomy 17. We're talking about the law mm-hmm. and the king copying the law. That specifically, you know, there's only one person, you know, who goes back to Egypt and amasses himself oh, so great of a wealth. And, that's David's son, mm-hmm. Solomon. You know, he takes wives from everywhere. Yeah. Right? And he's got so much money, so much wisdom, he doesn't know what to do with it all. 
Um, so that's, that's in one sense, you know, that law is prophecy and that law is just itself. Yeah. But God, God wants that from them and he wants it from us as well. Proper worship. Mm-hmm. And what does worship look like? I mean, it's showing love and appreciation. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just through singing, but no, I mean, it's not just actions, it's attitude, it's behavior, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's anything that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I'll say is that God never expected the Israelites to keep this law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in a certain sense he did, uh, but he knew that the more that this law weighed on them, the more it showed their sinfulness, mm-hmm. just like it shows our sinfulness. Yeah. And so there had to be that redeemer. There had to be that one person who could, who is, you know, God, the son, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And he came and fulfilled it all. He came and did it. You know, he kept the whole law. Mm-hmm. He did laws that nobody else could do, like healing a leper. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's one of my favorite laws because there was no Jew yeah. in the Old Testament who was healed from leprosy. Not one. And you get to the Old Te- you get to the New Testament, and Jesus is doing that. Mm-hmm. He's healing Jews from leprosy. And that's the first time they're seeing it. And they're like, uh, it's kind of like, what do we do now? You know, yeah. it's the first time this law has ever happened and been fulfilled. So, you know, Jesus keeps that law. He keeps all laws. Mm-hmm. And through him, through his righteousness, you know, it looks as if we've kept the law as well. Um, and again, we're coming up on the end of this. This is the end of, you know, the law. And my last question is, do these laws apply to believers? I would say that, uh, more specifically, the ceremonial law does not apply, you know, with it being fulfilled in Christ. Right. But moral law does. Mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, if it's something morally um, obligatory mm-hmm. in um, the first five books of the Bible, then keep it. If it's something that's re-mentioned in the New Testament, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it should be kept. It should be done. You know, we get um, the the only commandment with a promise. And mm-hmm. which one is that? To uh, honor thy father and mother. Yeah. And that one is repeated uh, quite a few times mm-hmm. in the New Testament. And it's the only one with a promise, you know. So I think that speaks to, you know, what we should be doing as believers. Not that, you know, we should be keeping the whole law, mm-hmm. but there are parts like moral law that we should be keeping. Because, I mean, it just makes sense. And we want to present ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, in a light, not that we keep the law for our salvation and for our justification, because justification is in Christ, but because we want to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, we love our enemies. You know, we do the things that God deems are righteous because we want to obey him because we have a heart for him, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what he gave us through his son is that heart of worship and obeying those laws, obeying those commandments and statutes. That is one way we show our worship. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know, that's something that Jesus himself says. You know, he's like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right. You know, and honestly, when it comes to this whole idea of like what laws should we be keeping, what laws should we not be keeping? You know, I don't think, you know, we shouldn't discount the working of the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, because when you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to be there and you're going to be convicted, mm-hmm. you know, you know, provided you are a Christian with the Holy Spirit within you and you're listening to the Spirit and receptive to it, then you break one of these laws, you're going to know it. And right. you're going to want to 
seek, you know, repentance and seek restoration from it. Yeah, it's going to weigh on you like a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to you're going to have that sinking feeling that and I think it's that same exact feeling um, that Adam and Eve had, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, shoot moment, mm-hmm. um, that, oh, junk moment that, wow, I really just did that. And I didn't necessarily want to, but I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everybody has that. And that's a generational thing because sin is generational. Mm-hmm. It's only amplified, you know, the further you go down the line. I mean, just look at the world today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the consequences are still the same, but, you know, the things we do are just amplified even more. And sin is so prevalent. And we have to be wary of what we do, especially as believers. Mm-hmm. But that's a quick look at Deuteronomy. I mean, it's not, it's nothing to go too deep into. Like I said, it's literally second law, yeah. uh, repetition of the law. So everything mentioned here, you know, you've gone over for three books already. Um, not that that doesn't make it any less important, um, but it's just a revisitation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, still, I would say, you know, go through these different sections. Look, there's some interesting things that go on, uh, some interesting things to be talked about. But and see the connections between Deuteronomy and Christ, even in, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You know, there's connections to Christ in those as well. Um, you know, I would say every book, every single book mm-hmm. in the Bible, uh, points to Jesus Christ. Okay, it doesn't matter if it's Joel, it doesn't matter if it's Hosea, it doesn't matter if it's Ruth, First Chronicles. Mm-hmm. You know, something in each of those books points to Christ. Yes, and. That's what we have to understand is that everything is leading up to that point where we have that Savior, where he dies on that cross and fulfills the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Um, this is, you know, the end of the solas. I know. We didn't think we'd make it to the end. Six weeks. Yeah, really. Um, five weeks of solas. Well, really, yeah, six weeks with the Martin Luther week, but... Mm-hmm. Any reflections on the solas? Uh, well, I do want to bring up, again, Deuteronomy. You know, I love Deuteronomy, and I don't want us to forget the context of it. You know, think about when Deuteronomy is being read out. Right. You know, these are a people who this is the new generation. Right. You know, it's not like he's just repeating them and telling them, this. you've already been through all this. You know, Moses is telling them, this is what your parents went through. Yep. This is what happened to your parents, how they came out of Egypt and all of this stuff that happened. You know, now this is sending out this new generation and giving them that final law one more time before they go off into the promised land. Yeah, and this won't be the last time that we see, you know, this renewal of covenant, mm-hmm. this renewal of law. Yeah. Uh, we'll see it plenty of times, you know, as we walk through, you know, more Old Testament books later on. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the next section of books that we get to is Old Testament could be Old Testament, could be New Testament. We'll mm-hmm. see. Um, but, you know, as you walk through the Old Testament, you'll see plenty of instances where law is renewed, mm-hmm. especially coming from captivity, because they go into captivity so much. Yeah, it's true. Um, and you just see, like I said, a renewal of law, renewal of covenant, and the people coming back to that. Um, so nothing really changes, you know, um, at least thematically. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changes. And we see that quite often, but I think it still shows God's grace and goodness um, even through that, and then the people's willingness to have a heart of obedience, at least for a time, um, 
whether they go back into their sin or not. Yeah. And, you know, I really wish, you know, we could continue with the story. Like, right. You know, I guess like forget our schedule. We'll just walk through every book of the Bible in order by yeah, this in point. Order. You know, because I really wish we jumped into Joshua. Right. Because in Joshua, we see the fulfillment of God's promise. You know, over and over again, God is promising you're going to have this land. All of this is going to happen. And we finally see it fulfilled in Joshua. Right. You know, and you really see the power of God in Joshua, which was why I love that book a lot as well. Yeah, Joshua's a good book. And, you know, the thing you have to really remember with, and not just the first five books, mm-hmm. um, but like the first seven, eight books, really, mm-hmm. they all run together. Yeah, they you all know, run straight into it, each other. It's straight from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. Mm-hmm. Because you get the Judges and the first like three lines are, yeah, Joshua just died. Mm-hmm. And now we're coming to a time where, you know, we're getting a bit lawless here. We don't know yep. what to do. Yep, the book um, of Judges. And, you know, the people are kind of worried, and we'll get into Judges later, but mm-hmm. the people at that time, they're kind of worried. They're like, uh, we don't have a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we do? Yep. And then some of them are like, yeah, just do whatever you want. So <laughs> we're like, we're not mm-hmm. even a generation removed. And, you know, the covenant's already breaking down in their eyes. And yep. that heart of obedience which mm-hmm. was never really there, mm-hmm. um, is put forth in the hearts of, you know, judges. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's really about it. Uh, honestly, I mean, if you've, if there's one thing you've learned from this uh, study is just read your Bible. Yeah. You know, there's, there's only so much that we can talk about, you know, cause just read your whole Bible. Yeah. I mean, we can only go, you know, over so many chapters and so many verses um, you just got to read, take the verses that we give you and the chapters that we give you mm-hmm. and the books we give you and just, you know, study them. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, one specific chapter like uh, Leviticus 8, you know, whether that's the one chapter you want to study, yeah. uh, go for it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but just do, do your own studying and reading. And then this is just supplemental. This isn't, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? cover mm-hmm. i guess you know like you're studying your own studying yeah because that's we're just going at like overview of songs and books mm-hmm. and different doctrines so yeah uh now those of you that made it to the end of the episode because uh i'm sure not everybody has right <laughs> uh i want to mention uh obviously we're on youtube at the upper room discourse every thursday there'll be a video up uh, but also follow us on patreon patreon.com forward slash the upper room discourse uh, so we're going to be posting there basically uh, just the verses that we go through, some of our reviews. Uh, obviously, right. you don't have to pay to see the verses. We'll just have those up there. Uh, but you would have to pay to see, like, the specific, like, the more detailed stuff. Right. Uh, but I want to bring that up just to make sure you guys are aware of that. Uh, moving forward, we are uh, excited for next week. We're going to be doing, uh, like, a Thanksgiving kind of episode. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, wait till you guys see uh, what our book study and what our song oh, is. Too. It's good. It's good. Uh, but we, I think we're going to have a special guest on for that week as well, which that'll be fun. Yeah, another special. Hey, y'all are getting treated uh, I know. like twice in one month, yeah. in a one month span. Yeah. Uh, but moving forward, we're going to have some filler kind of episodes, uh, but we do have a Christmas series on the horizon. Yes. So Advent. we'll be looking forward to that. Yeah. We'll be looking at Advent. If that tells you where we're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with that, uh, I guess we'll leave you unless you have anything else that we need to mention before we end the episode. 
I don't. Uh, just turn on notifications. Yeah, hit that. That's bell. it. But other than that, yeah, be sure to check out all the other episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you want to start all the way at the beginning with episode one in Revelation, uh, or if you want to start at you know episode two with the first solo, yeah, and then just work your way through, that. it doesn't matter. I mean, if you want to start here on, I guess it'd be like episode seven. You can if you want. You can if you want. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, now that we're at the end of it, anyways, we're just rambling now. Um, yeah. Check out all the other episodes. Turn on notifications once again. And then we'll see you guys next week. Yep, we'll see you. You have reached the end of the record. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube and also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.